0: And record. So we're now live. Checking my connection. is over there laughing at me. Hello, everyone. Durant's <laughs> laughing. Everyone's laughing at me. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the 147th episode of the Beast Moto Tech Tuesday. You may wonder, what do I have on here? What's going on with BC Moto? It's supposed to be warm in Southern California. But it is. But a little cooler. But nonetheless, here I am. And um, I don't know, everyone's taking photos of me, so I'm going to take this off. Here we go. Okay, that's more like it. Okay. George is in the house. I'm doing well, Oparse. Good seeing you. Bronx is in the house. Thank you so much for joining this afternoon on the Beast Tech Tuesday, episode 147. Guys... Long name, good seeing you as well. Papi Booty Cakes, interesting name. Thank you for joining me today. Crazy cool Porsche is beautiful. Um, BC on your wagon, did the CRV upper diff mount already come pre-tapped on the chassis? No, it did not. Hello, Sam, sir. Good afternoon, how are you guys? Good seeing you. Honda Gang says, IG Menez, 69, good seeing you as well. How do I make the D series fast? There are so many things I can share with you. Finland's in the house, courtesy of Hutsia. Good seeing you indeed. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. And I'd like to give a big shout out to Errolsen and his team out in Germany with acronym. They were kind enough not only to provide delivery on the 935, but also got me this great attire, which I'm wearing here today with these cool trousers and all that good stuff, look at this, and the, and the tennis shoes and so thank you so much Errolson and team and Rod, with the guys for making this happen. I really appreciate you guys a lot, so thank you so much. Um, so let's talk, let's jump into it. I saw a question came in about how to make a single cam fast. Now there are so many things to do, so I'm going to share some really good secrets on my D-Series that can allow you to do that, which is nice, right? So. On a D16, the challenge is, yes it is, DJ Ramaroff. it is the heady Motor Shirt. There you go right there. Combined with acronym as well. So, the key to making power is to get as much air as possible in the engine. And one thing you know about a D-Series is that it has a limited induction aperture. So, the head ports are very small, very limited indeed. So, what could you do to make it happen, make a lot, make a lot of power? One thing the D-Series lacks is flow. So, even if you put it next to a B16, same displacement as a B16, but it's limited, right? So, porting is extremely, extremely important. That's number one. And the more cross section area you have, the better. You don't want to break into the water jackets because you can easily do that. We have companies like Portflow, which helped us tremendously with that, and he knows what to do. Tom knows exactly what to do. Secondly, camshafts. No matter how much flow you get into it, you need to be able to actuate the valves very properly. So, that being said, um, a beast mode level X, if you sing NA is the way to go, a 3.6 if you go in boost. And the camshaft plays a huge role as well. If you staying NA, one thing that I find um, very appealing is the fact that if you go with a larger bore, it helps to the valves significantly and creates a lot more power. Just by doing a proper induction, pulling the head, valve train, camshaft from us, bigger bore and compression, you can easily eclipse a 180 to the wheel horsepower range, which is very, very simple. So, Trom pistons, go go sleeve block to go with a bigger bore, all that good stuff. Now if you're staying boosted, it's even easier. All you have to do is low compression pistons from Trom, proper rods that could be similar to spec rods, be similar level 3.6 or 2.4 cam if you want more um, enjoyable idle, and boom, that's it. Nice turbocharger, you can use something as small as a 48 millimeter, you can go something as big as a 64. You can easily make anywhere from 380 to north of 750 horsepower to the wheels, which is great, you know? Um, A J Thompson, are there any companies who make D series or still have F series forged billet cranks? I can't find any. Well, A J, on the D series size, no. On the F series, you're fortunate because Brian Crower makes H22 cranks, which have the same bore spacing and capability as an F22. So the F22 typically has the mains that are 50 millimeters. Um, Brian Crower can make it for you, so he does have it. Crower does have it. Brian Crower in particular. So your F22 goals are there. Hello, Druby Life, good seeing you indeed. Silent Yardy, hello, thank you so much. Save the cam, says, sir, boosted. ITP Kevin, China Turbo Kit and Send It, shame on you, sir. And you know one thing about, he says about China Turbo Kits, I've had customers come here to tune with those kits, and you start the car up and the turbo doesn't even move. It just stays stationary, you rev it, it kind of moves slowly. I've had maybe one client who has success with that, the vast majority had failures, and when they do go out, Let's say the, shatter, the wheels on the intake shatter, it takes a lot with it. It hurts the intake valves on the head. It kills the turbo itself, of course. Hurts your, it can get lodged between your piston and your sleeve, so it kills your entire cylinder. It's not worth it. I just don't understand the benefit in using the cheapest turbo possible. I invest in high-performance turbochargers that are of high quality and don't give me any challenges, and many of them have warranties, like from Turbognetics and from Precision, you know? Um, thank you so much, JD7455. Will it be at CC Sunday? I plan on going there, but I don't know if I'll have the K3V or if I should take the Odyssey minivan, which is right here next to me. Let me just, for those YouTube, you can't see that, but I'm gonna just show it to you right here. The minivan is right there. And in front of it is a Tesla. I think someone asked me at Tesla when we build Tesla conversions, do we have the same technology that Tesla uses for traction control? And the answer is no. Tesla used a very uh, clever protocol that when it sees the wheel that is causing a bit of slip, and doesn't have good adhesion to the ground it actually applies the brakes to the offending wheel to allow it to have traction while in our case we don't do that we use more of a slew rate opportunity so if we see um, where the wheel spin goes up uh, that's uncomfortable we tend to initiate some kind of traction control based upon the delta of real speed over a period of time That is a pretty cool algorithm but it works very well plus we tend to augment that by using a proper quave sequential which is good Madame Moo, my pleasure indeed on the Porsche hub chair. I'm glad you like it, you know? What's the car towards my right? My right? It's a secret. But I'll show it to you, because I'm a nice chap, right? So I'm gonna just turn this around. This is a very interesting project car. What does that look like, guys? Old school Rolls Royce, right? That's exactly what it is. So, here's a nice house project we have. It's gonna be very nice. It's an old vehicle that we purchased from, I think Haiti found this, actually. I purchased this um, about two and a half months ago, and it's something, something interesting. Oh, Kovot knows my plans. Shame on you, Covote! <laughs> oh my goodness, What are you making parts for Honda Elements? There is absolutely no demand from my company for Honda Element parts, zero. So, and I think Honda saw the same thing, that's why they discontinued it. <laughs> but I don't have any plans, forgive me, I don't have any plans, short or long term, for Honda Element components, you know? J35 motor, what's better, turbo or supercharged? Well, it depends on your goals. If you want something that's very, how should I say, modular, and you can have the ability to change power on the fly, and you don't have any challenges with plumbing or heat, just like we did on the Odyssey, turbocharging is the way to go. But if you love, absolutely no issues whatsoever with lag, and you want immediate power, um, Jersey Bear has a Roadtrek supercharged system that sits in the location of, I would say, the air conditioning system, and you can have a supercharger system, and you don't have to worry about, you know, heat rejection to the engine bay, you don't have to worry about making any crazy plumbing, you can use a factory exhaust manifold. It's pretty straightforward, so either way, it depends on your goals for your setup, you know? Thanks for the H8F22 cam gear, says EDTG. My pleasure, indeed. We made a very limited supply. I think I may have a couple more left, you know? Which is good. Um, EK Cloud 96 what do you think of the Boosted Boys MR2? I'm not familiar with the MR2, I'm familiar with the, the um, Odyssey they built, because, Everyone kept tagging me on it, but no. I I don't know, you know. Kobo says, BC, if you want sound in the K3B, put a short-range AM radio antenna around the drive motor. It makes an amazing jet engine mixed with an F1 sound AM band. Look at video. Ooh, I want to see that. Now, I do like the sound of mine. It's very cool because mechanically I have an aperture from the engine compartment pumping into the compartment where everyone sits, into the cockpit, I should say. But to hear a jet engine mixed with F1 sound, that seems pretty interesting. I will look up videos on that. Thank you for sharing the Covote is such a nice chap. I met him right before the pandemic got crazy here in SoCal. Um, And you can intercool the road trucks. you sure can. And you can also intercool the um, turbocharged system as well, but you can, by all means, you know. BC, I'm holding my very first super treasure hunt for the Hot Wheels in my hand. Well done, sir. I love the guys from Hot Wheels, good job. Hello, hello, Dismantler, my wonderful partners who probably is gonna hate me this year because um, I have even crazier projects coming out this year and, uh, I need some cool Porsche parts. So, LA Dismantler is a place I go to whenever I need things for my Porsche. Even on the K3V, I had, the chassis was devoid of any dash components. I got everything from them, even something as simple as my indicator stalk, I got from them. And even key. Yeah. My ignition key. My vehicle, when I bought it, didn't have a ignition key and I was able to get one with a key, matching key, from LA Dismantler. So thank you so much, guys, for being who you are, you know? Can you all drive a 2006 r Type S? Absolutely. Hello, Banzai 888. Good seeing you. This is Golden Wolf 888, says Danny B. Me. By the way, what's your final opinion on stock Velocity N? Well, there's a Velocity N right there, our white one, and I've obviously stayed stock for nine days. I like the factory Velocity N for this reason. It's in the same market, same class, same genre as what you may see with the Civic Type R from Honda, which you may see with the Golf R from VW, Um, it's it's amongst good good, I would say, how should I say, company. The Civic Type R is very very boy racer as far as I'm concerned, with the red interior and the bright and the vents, it's a little too boy racer. Even though it has a lot of potential, we've proven that you can easily make four hundred wheel with those things with the right components, reliably. Um, The Golf R is just absolutely fantastic. All-wheel drive, very elegant. It's like the Porsche of V-dubs, of that class, I'd say. It's very nice, but it's a little too tame. This Velocity N has everything just right. And the one thing in particular is that you can really customize, like you may see in the Golf R, which is a little bit more expensive, you can definitely customize your driving style. So what I have on that Velocity N is the capability of going to N mode, which gives you the nice pop and bangs, gives you a lot more power, better throttle response, better feel in the steering wheel. But I can soften my suspension where it's not stiff because this car, like Type R, has the electronic soft you know, suspension. Type R, on the other hand, when you're in N mode, you cannot soften or soften the dampeners. It's just N mode is N mode. So if you like the feel of your normal mode and cruising, but want the power of the N, I'm um, I mean, sorry, the R mode in Type R, you just don't have the capability and that 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 flexibility, that ability to, I would say. Customize severely is something that really places this in a very positive light. As far as I'm concerned, as an enthusiast, plus as you think about the look of that, it has the right touch, right amount of touch of of red, elegant but still tame. The three doors are a bit quirky but also quite appealing and different. I really really like it. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Love the new 935 K3V shirt. Oh, thank you so much, Velocity Racing Red. Appreciate that indeed. I, I'm going to make a lot more. That, those sold out. I had, I didn't know, guys. I mean, the K3V is right there sitting between the Velocity N and the Audi R8. I was really thinking that maybe guys wouldn't care for it, so we made a few. And they sold out in 23 minutes. So it's amazing. So I have more coming. Please hang tight, guys. I promise. But you're very fortunate, uh, Velocity Red N, to get that because um, I only have one. And all the ones we had here sold out completely. Hello, Sitan Nishu. Good seeing you, indeed. Um, hey, can I run a dish-shaped piston, high compression piston, from a GDI engine on a port injection that had a flat piston? Answer E92, William, is yes, you can. Um, the reason for that weird dish in a direct injection engine is the fact that it allows for the stratification of the direct injection to hit that, reverse, and form a nice plume. And that happens closer to the t- top dead center. And that helps with atomization, helps with efficiency. It's a very well designed. Now, you cannot put a flat top into a GDI that came out of a port injection because it's quite detrimental. But you could go the other way around. You could by all means use that, and the port injection wouldn't really mind. Your burn may be a little slightly inefficient on the other side of that ridge, but it's not a big deal. It's not a game, game changer or a deal breaker, I should say. So that being said, you can do it, but the opposite cannot exist. Have some fun and let me know how that works out for you. The Honda Fit you built, what did you do for power? Wow, that was pretty straightforward. Um, we did a 400 plus wheel horsepower fit and we did the standard stuff. Port the head, beast motor camshaft, beast motor valve train, the custom Go intake, a larger throttle body, steel drive-by-wire, Honda-based. Used an opportunity to open the block up, sleeve it, and put Trump pistons in and our custom rods. And that was it. And I converted it from port inje- from direct injection to port because the direct injection we had Just didn't have the ability to flow enough fuel to allow us to make that power. So I had to switch over to ports. I closed all the holes for the direct injection. And with the GoNegi intake manifold, put in the capability of 1,000 cc injectors. And made a custom fuel rail. And that was it. Tuned it on AM Infinity and boom, another 400 horsepower. Um, The car is already sold. There's one of our clients who actually bought two of the cars. We had a mild and a wild one. And the gentleman who was in the Navy, very good guy, he bought both of them. So I no longer have them. But that's what we did to build that, you know. It's Milo Fu says, Will you ever take the insight out of retirement for the shakedown run? So the insight, forgive me once again on YouTube, I forgive me indeed, but the insight is right there. There's my insight, chilling right there next to the wagon. So I have not had the capability, I mean I have so many projects even behind me here, guys. I have so much going on. Um, let me move this across a little bit. Okay. So I have so much going on here. I have this is a project. I have a client's car there. Another client's car there. A client's on lift. Another client's on lift. Black and a sex right there. I even have this project I need to work on. This is a, this is something that a lot of people really never ever ever see. This is a Tesla Roadster. That's also a client's car. I have to take care of my customers first before I even play around with my own projects. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those selfish shop owners. I have to do it. So clients first, and when I get these projects done, because I, I really miss racing a lot, I would get to the inside. But right now, my clients who keep the lights on, the doors open are, the, are my priorities. So forgive me, please. Eh? Um, can you build me an F22 for like 1,000 horsepower? Yes, it can be done. The th- actually, the F22 leads, lends itself very well, F22A, non-VTEC, lends itself very well to four-digit power. And you may say, why, BC? Well, the head flows amaz- amazingly well. When you look at the ports on the F 22A, they have huge potential for power. And the one thing that Honda did to really make it very tame is by putting very small, very conservative camshafts in them. So if you throw some camshafts on that, those engines, the F 22As, come with 8.8 to 1 from factory. So it's low compression already. So it lends itself to boost already at the gate. But if you want to make four digit power, you definitely have to sleeve it, get some of the rods we have. We have a long rod combo, long rod and piston combo for. Uh, One millimeter oversized and factory, which is 86 millimeter. The head, which has the highest potential for power on that F-22A, flows more stock than most ported B-series. And you know what B-series guys do? There are so many thousand horsepower B-series out there, it's crazy. It's just that in the Honda world, which is something that always shocked me, people tend to not think out of the box, which is pretty interesting. And by not doing that, we don't see a lot more creativity. A lot of people tend to copy each other. So since there are not a lot of people who tend to copy the Silcam thing, I guess it's not popular. We did D-Series and people jumped on that. But I never really built a boosted F-22, and if I did, I'm sure people would jump on that as well. But nonetheless, there's a good opportunity to have some fun with that engine. It's, it's really just one of the, if not the most underrated performance engine from American Honda, or from Honda period, you know? Gustav Silva, 100 from Brazil, thank you so much for joining sir, I appreciate that indeed, you know? Um, would you say that the Veloster N kind of fits where the Focus ST used to be, rest in peace Focus? I would say yes, Cobalt, but it is a superior vehicle. If you drive a Focus ST and drive a Veloster N, the Veloster N has a very strong European, almost BMW feel to it. And I'm not surprised, because uh, Engineer Beerman is now head of the N Division, and he took a lot of that BMW DNA from how the vehicle feels to the pop and bangs on the diesel, just the engine smoothness. It has a lot of BMW, European DNA in it, so I would say, yes, it could be a good replacement, but an upgrade, I would say, from the Focus ST. Hello, Gyrok, Pablo, good seeing you. Yes, he's right, Fox Design is correct. They're dominating the GT racing series in the Velocity, they absolutely are. Thank you for the feedback, says Danny B. me. My pleasure, indeed, sir. Can't wait for you to make my box or hot top. Thank you so much, sir. Secret Service AP. Your box is gonna be really clean when it's done. Who makes the correcting rods, be it steel, aluminum, or titanium, would you, who would you recommend? Um, I have quite a few local machine shops that do stuff for me, because I don't machine in-house. Um, if you're looking for aftermarket ones that I've had success with and my customers have had success with, um, I've seen customers have success with everything from R&R, um, especially on the aluminum side, uh, GRP, Um, We've even had some success with that as well. There are quite a few. Titanium, I've not used. Titanium tends to gall to metals close to it. Um, So I tend to shy away from that, even though you can coat the offending surfaces. I tend to see a lot of NSX guys come here with modified factory titanium, but I'm purely steel and aluminum. And for all my prototyping, I use aluminum. And also for any of the uh, drag motors where I can have a lot of power, and I'm trying to use something that acts like a very nice shock absorber. That's a cool thing about aluminum rods. When you detonate, god forbid, but when you do have the slight pre-ignition, it doesn't easily transfer it to the crankshaft, it actually absorbs a lot of it. So, you see a lot of top fuel dragsters, that's all they use, because they just couldn't use steel, the steel would disintegrate itself, or destroy the crankshaft very, very badly. So, aluminum rods are like these great shock absorbers, and also can act as a variable compression device. You're like, what the hell do you mean by that, BC? Well, aluminum has a very high expansion rate, so because of that, when you put in an engine and it's cold, you definitely want to give a decent piston to head clearance. So I have engines anywhere from 50 to 60 thousand piston-the-head. You know on regular engines, or you may have steel rods, you can get away with maybe 30 to 35 thousand um, piston-the-head, but you wanna go 50 to even 60 sometimes piston-the-head on aluminum rods. So when you start up the engine, it's easier on the starter, the piston sits below deck quite a bit, and as it warms up, the aluminum expands and the compression gets higher. It's pretty freaking cool. I'm gonna be running a turbocharger kit on my F22B non-VTEC Honda, very nice. You will notice, though, as you look at that F22B2, the exhaust ports, being that the two are closer to each other and the other ones are kind of farther apart, tend not to flow extremely well. If you do have the capability, upgrade or slightly backdate your head, at least, to an F22A, A1, A4, A6, you will not regret it. It's an amazing head. Just notice, no hat. Yes, d I have no hat on today. I was actually rocking my Jacket, but it's kind of warm. I have this acronym jacket from Germany that Erlson and his team was kind enough to send to me. This jacket, guys, is pretty crazy. Do you know how much this jacket is? This jacket right here is really cool. It's $3,500. This is a, a pretty penny, very expensive jacket. It's absolutely beautiful, very tactical. Um, and the materials are they're very like futuristic, really cool. And the trousers, you see my trousers here? It's really, really nice trousers. But um, yeah, I'm not wearing a hat today. And I think I didn't know we had a couple of weeks ago as well. So, yep, and I got my little Haiti Moto shirt on, which is pretty cool. Thank you, Haiti Moto. Um, Bezmo, should I supercharge my E46 motor? I want more power, but I keep thinking that my AK was all built to be NA. So that's a bit of a misnomer, JDM agent. Um, the RPM limit is based on so many factors. And as engineers, we tend to design engines to keep in mind the safety, reliability, and we give a cushion there. train plays a big role. Cam plays a huge role. Board stroke ratios play a big role as well. So, all those combinations are ideal. You could, if you size your turbocharger properly, you could stay within that boundary and still be a turbocharger. Supercharging is also very nice as well, especially since um, it allows for an opportunity where there's absolutely no lag whatsoever and your vehicle feels like a bigger displacement, natural aspirated setup. So, that being said, supercharging is actually quite appealing for something that we're just trying to do. Um, But the one thing about supercharging that I kind of have a little qualm with is that you cannot limit power easily based upon vehicle speed or gear. So let's say you make uh, on your E46, let's say you end up making 600 horsepower. That 600 horsepower exists within first, second, third, fourth gear, whatever the case may be. But in turbocharging, I have the capability based on electronics and boost control using a wastegate to keep it at 250 horsepower in first gear and 300 in second gear and then ramp it into 600 in fourth and, and higher. So you have the capability of having this green modular setup, which makes for an enjoyable ride. But just like natural aspiration, you can do the same thing. You can just have a fun, have a ball with uh, supercharging. And many times you don't have to worry about exhaust manifolds and heat rejection to the engine bay and all that fun stuff, you know? Is there a cost-effective way, says Rod Motorsport, to measure my air fuel ratio? Why bands are too expensive? I'm quiet because my good friend Rod Motorsport's is not aware of what we went through back in the day, I guess. So not too long ago, and I'm talking about less than two decades ago, if you wanted to look at your air-fuel ratio, you had to have a very expensive Hariba set up, uh, or you had to have something very clever from MoTeC. And on the Hariba side, an air-fuel ratio monitor was $21,000. A MoTeC cost-effective small gold box was still about seven grand, $7,000. And nowadays, we have AEM wideband sensors for hundred and fifty dollars It's pretty cost-effective right two hundred dollars. So I'll tell you what Rob well, Motorsports what I could do to help you out is I do have it's an inline though So you'd have to be able to have a way of logging it But if you're doing this with an engine management solution send me a DM I have a used inline wideband sensor that I pulled off with my blue Porsche that I'm not going to use I'll send it to you for like uh, $80. I'll just tell you the whole thing. So let me know if you're interested, I'll sell it to you, and then for $80 you can have uh, an inline Y-band system. So I have it right there in the corner from my blue Porsche. But there's no, um, there's no other way to bypass spending you know, a little north of $150 to get a wideband sensor. It's just right now it's a very cost-effective device, and if you think about the, the circuitry that goes into it and what it analyzes and how important this is to tuning and also the precision, it's a pretty cost effective, good route to explore. So, hopefully, I can help you there by sending you one of the ones I have here that I'm not using. You're super good at building cars, says I'm sure 2021. I want to go back to Master mechanic School, UTI College here at ICOM. Well, good job. Please do that. And um, please pay attention because um, I've had some great guys from UTI. I've also had some guys who have no idea what they're doing after graduating, which is interesting. But I'm also a huge advocate of um, someone going to uh, a four year university and studying mechanical engineering. So, if that's within the cards for you, we need more creative engineers, we really, really do. It's some, almost like a lot of creativity is going to some of the tech colleges, but we need creative engineers, not the ones who just go to school and stay within a box. We need those engineers that think crazy like I do and think out of the box and make things happen, you know? Hey, Bishi, says Akura Shell. Called me Bishi, interesting. Anyway, I generally heard that modifying cars reduces reliability. If you made a high horsepower car, but detuned it significantly, could it match OEM reliability? So. Great question, and I will ask that for you properly. Any good tuner or builder with worth their salt would tend to do that. So, one of the reasons why this van was built in 2012 and keeps running until today. One of the reasons why my project, in my own race car can go season after season after season without a rebuild. It's because what you want to do as a proper engineer is to test the limits of the power plant and accommodation and back off like a good 30%. Hence, giving you that reliability. And that's something that the OEMs do quite well. And that's something we learn from them. It's only people who are very foolish that will push an engine to the very edge and expect it to be reliable. It just can't. There are stressors. Things happen beyond your control. And mechanical devices do have limits. So when we do failure analysis, we we haven't done a lot recently, but I used to do quite a bit at my old facility, it was a clever way of saying we get to blow things up on purpose just to see how far we can push things before they fail. And then we back off a good 30... That's a magic number for OEMs and even for myself. A good 30%... And that way you can drive the car for extended periods of time for hundreds of thousands of miles without any challenges. So yes, it can be done. But it comes in design and tuning. And by the way, with tuning, you can mess up a 90 horsepower setup with a bad tune. So component-wise, yes, it can happen. And people have done that, you know. Thank you for talking about the fit. So it was NA, that's wild. No, the 400 horsepower fit was boosted. It was, um, I used a uh, turbonetics. It was a 54mm turbo, if my memory serves me correctly, but I built two, so I had a, um, uh, if you see, I had the white one with the kind of crazy Mugen-inspired stripes on it, so that was like a, um, a nice track club racer spec build, and then I had the blue one with the cage, and that was full all out, so we did a couple of those, you know. When building an engine for a manufacturer, do you build an engine from scratch or dismantle existing engines from the car and then rebuild it? Is the Odyssey J35 and Fit L25? L25, anyway, um, we have done both. We've had the opportunity where manufacturers have given us a clean slate, but that happens very rarely. Most of the time, a manufacturer will give you an existing engine and want to get technology to improve that to a second generation. And it's more cost-effective for them, especially if if you can stay within the mold construction of the outside of the casing and have some small adjustments to it that can make it much more reliable, much more efficient. That's what they prefer. So, yes, both has happened. And the Odyssey, the engine, yes, was a J35Y. And on the Fit it was a L15 factory casing. Even though you have a thriving business, would you ever consider joining F1 or a WEC team? I would if the opportunity presented itself. Absolutely. Those guys are on the cutting edge of everything, motorsports and technology, when it comes to automotive. And it seems that a lot of them are concentrated in Europe, especially in the UK, which is sad. So I used to go to the UK quite a bit because that was like the mecca for me, going to an auto sports show. It's almost like a center of the universe when it comes to everything in motorsport, but ever since I discovered CES, I've been <laughs> skipping on going to the NEC, which is quite sad, you know? Would you let your daughter race who wants to become older? Yes, Texas Holy I would. Um, my first daughter, she's uh, almost eight years old, and I definitely would, I wouldn't stop her from doing that. My son, who's going to be turn three very soon, he's just crazy about cars. I won't be surprised if both of them get involved in motorsports at some level, you know? Yes, big block, single cam. That is what the F-22 is known of. I see you, Kevin, what you're saying. Shame on you. Kevin, unfortunately, I cannot ignore my customers to build my race cars. It's just not a good use of my resources or time. Um, and I me sure cloning myself, it's, it's really tough. It's tough. And it's so sad I can even build it and I probably won't even have time to race it. So I do have to take in my customers first, unfortunately. Um, have you worked on coyotes? What are your opinions on them? Well, I haven't, but I have one right over there. So there's a coyote engine over there. I just recently received, um, and Marvin, one of the fab guys here, he's helping, actually, it's really his project, I'm helping him with it. We just received, and thank you so much, I mean, I think of Ford Performance, I reached out to some of my contacts at Ford, and, and none of them could help me out, but then Vaughn Gittin Jr. was kind of to help me, so I have a, a um, ECU pack up front, which allows for full control of the EC, of the engine, the transmission, comes with a math, a pedal, Map sensor, all the good things, just get something started on a bench. So we're gonna try that and throw it in an old school Ford truck, you know? What happens if pistons are installed in a car incorrectly? Very bad things happen. So let's say the most common ones I've seen from facilities is if someone puts the intake side on the exhaust, hence the exhaust side is not on the intake. Um, With an interference motor, you tend to see the valve contact the um, piston because of like a relief. Um, if there is an offset pin on a setup and that's also happening, you can get increased noise on that as well. If you're talking about a ring package, that is just, that is just something really bad happening, you know? William Payne 16, have you ever considered making an EV917K? Yes, I have, but I've not had access to be able to do one yet. If you have one you want us to do, let us know. We better an auto-closed speedway on the weekend of 19. I didn't know what's, what's happening. Let me know, DJ Ramiroff. you know? F22B, what engine is that? Please explain. F22B2 is from Accord. It's like a later generation Accord. Uh, I think you can find them in 97 Accords to be exact with you and up. What I tend to use is like from the older Accords, 1990, 1992. And I think with the newer Accords, there was a lot of more emphasis on efficiency and fuel economy. And that was the case with the older 1990, 1991 engines. So the F22B2 is a, uh, ups, or a, a newer generation of the F22A out of the Accord. Known as the CB7. So I hope that helps. Hello, Agu, double O, good seeing you. Andy Rocha, thank you so much. Hello. And Andy Rocha, I see you're from Brazil. Thank you for joining me indeed. Do you think I can get away with just running 93 on a 13 to 1 comp K24 ITB street setup running on Infinity or 12.15 Max? So that's a great question. And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> Let me say, why? On the 13 to 1 compression, yes, you can run it, but on stock cams, I doubt it. The one way to cheat running a high static compression is by really reducing that dynamic and by running cams that have a lot of overlap. So I've done that with great success. I ran really high compression north of 12.5 on my streetcar while I was in college, daily driven, on 91 octane, not even 93. And I had success because my camshafts are huge. And what happens is you tend not to get to a point where you have pre-ignition. My timing was very low. You don't be surprised if your peak timing exists in like as low as in high RPM 19 to 19 before top dead center. Don't be surprised if you're in you know, the high teens or low 20s because of the compression. But running a big cam is a way to get around it. And your car will just wake up. It's amazing what you can get away with compression. But bear in mind also your tuning window is very narrow. And that narrow window can be expanded further if you have a field that's more, how should I say, Anti knock capable, like KRS is saying here, KRS F30, if you run E85. And with Infinity, you have the capability of running flex fuel. So if I were in your shoes, here's what I would do. And they set up, set up for 91 octane, or 93 in your case. Tune it with the big camshafts, and you, you will be able to tell the knock limit. If you look at the tuning window, especially in Infinity, you can do a knock window from zero to 50 degrees, monitor it, and keep an eye. As a matter of fact, after your first full runs, build a knock floor so that if you have exceeded that during your runs, the ECU will quickly add fuel and retard timing to keep you safe. Then when you get to that knock floor and you get to the best tune on 93, with your flex fuel sensor in your return line and connect it to the input for your AM infinity C, 285. And you'll pick up a ton of power. Interpolate those two results for ignition timing. And also you want to adjust your fuel ratio for lambda as well. And then you're good to go. So you can now have your cake and eat it too. That's what I would do. And that's what I've done for a lot of clients. What's a good fuel filter for an E85-B18 turbo? AEM actually makes one. They make um, an element filter that's very good for that. Kinsler also makes a complete stainless one as well. So you have those two options that I've had success with, you know? BC knows so much about combustion engines, says the link Designs. He built an EV to start learning again. That is absolutely, co- you're absolutely 100% correct. And I learn weekly, even this week, I'm learning about immersive technology when it comes to thermal control with batteries. So, every week, even this morning, I was reading about that and writing to some companies using this 3M liquid that allows for a non conductive cooling mechanism for batteries. And it's, it's fascinating stuff. I love it so much. So, yes, I'm learning quite a bit. With the Rolls becoming a new daily driver, how much do you pick it up for? says Kovot. Kovot, I will save that for a conversation I have with you. <laughs> but... Um, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if it does become my new daily. You know, throw types. Electric versus cable. Says Jason Emily. Ooh, good, 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 good question. Cable is what we've used for eons, and it's pretty straightforward. Very easy to access. Very easy to implement any kind of strategies for for repair. Um, even if you're doing something as silly as um, Cruise control, you can just grab the cable and hold it in a position, and cruise control works, which is pretty cool. Um, what are some of the things I don't like about a cable? Um, if you want to be able to change around your ratio of your pedal versus the throttle body opening, you have to do some very clever cantilever items of control or have a very lopsided shape on the throttle body, and it's not adjustable. Um, on the other hand, so for example, let's say you have a... Very lightweight vehicle. Let's say you have a Caterham 7 or even, what's another good one, an area atom. And you have a boosted area atom or boosted Caterham, and you have this cable throttle, and you have a fairly decent sized throttle body on the engine. Well, if you step into it barely, air can open up quite quickly, because many times the throttle has a one-to-one ratio from throttle position to aperture on the throttle body. You can have a runaway session where you just, you step on it and it just jerks on you. It's, it's not very controllable. And then you have an out of control valve which could also be another boost leak situation. So what I do in all my cars, even the wagon right here next to me, I convert it to drive-by-wire. All the Porsches I have, air-cooled or not, drive-by-wire. I'm a huge drive-by-wire fan because I can remove the out of control valve which is a, a, a leaking point. For definitely a boost that It's Just one more port that can leak. So get rid of that. I can use drive-by-wire to be able to do really clever things with traction control, with cruise control. And even most importantly, using AM Infinity, you can also believe do this with uh, Tech Elites. You can have the opportunity to have a ratio of pedal versus throttle body. So I can open up, I can command a 10% throttle position, and it'll only open 3% on my throttle body. I can go to 20, I can open to 10. I can have complete control of that ratio. So once again, to my previous example, small car big power big throttle body i can now easily drive into it and have it feel normal or you see some of the new cars now right where you have some kind of uh, sport mode and eco mode and normal mode those are if you do power runs on those they're typically the same but the ratio of the throttle body is something different so you can use drive-by-wire to do different modes earlier versions of throttle body systems had a bit of lag but nowadays with systems like am infinity it's so quick It is, you don't feel any lag at all. It's absolutely non-existent. It's fantastic, you know? Oh, so many great questions here. Um, Good, oh yeah, yeah, I just answered that. Thank you so much, my pleasure indeed. Uh, Favorite front-wheel drive platform? Honda CRX, HF, because it's lightweight, very simplified, and has a lot of aftermarket support on a newer version, of course, on the inside because it's very cost-effective, full aluminum. One of the few cars that American Honda lost money on every time they sold one and really gave me a majority of truckies I have in my office, which is amazing. If you had to pick one car for daily track use, what would it be and why? Ooh, that's a good question. So cars one F30, I will share this because I just shared it with a client last week. Believe it or not, it would be the Acura NSX NC1. The newest Acura NSX that is a supercar that you can go out with your girl literally to a beautiful restaurant when restaurants open up so it's very elegant very exotic looking has a reliability of Acura that you can have come to love and explore um, has amazing support um, from the aftermarket community especially from us and from companies like SOS and above and beyond the track is absolutely fantastic we are drag racing the electric motors I mean we're running consistent seven ones at Urbandale here, which has been quite a few cars because you have the electric motors in the front, you have the uh, single electric motor in the rear and acting as an integrated motor assist between the engine and gearbox, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, it, it's, it's a great car and it's one that's not very common. So you see, you don't see them very often. So the Acura NSX, the new one, is the perfect car. And then I actually went to a shopping at a Vaughn's locally and I couldn't believe how much I could fit in that rear trunk area, it's amazing. And, a case of bottled water, I had a bunch of fruit, I had bread, I had milk, I had orange juice. I, the thing actually, had, it was pretty cool. And people don't even know what they are. They're like, oh, when is this coming out? I'm like, it's already out, sir, or madam. So that would be, if it's one car for daily and track use, that would be it. Now I couldn't carry an engine in it easily, unless it's a D series block, I could probably carry that. But like today I went to go with with F H H23 block. I don't think I'd be able to fit that in comfortably. But apart from that, it's a great car. Hello, J. Talk. Good seeing you. J. Talk is the guy who has a beautiful 997 Twin Turbo set up. We're going to be working together to hopefully bring some great goodies to the performance community in the portrait world. Doc, I owe you a call. Um, last week when we were supposed to get together, we were filming here. So I wasn't, and that filming went into when you and I were supposed to speak. So please forgive me. I have another filming session tomorrow. So possibly maybe we can talk after I film that, if you're still available. So let me know. Um... Yeah, you Lotus, so this is actually, since I see a Lotus, this is actually not a Lotus. Okay, it's a Lotus glider body, but it's actually a Tesla Roadster. Yes, the car that first made Elon. It's right there, That's one example of it. Very few of these exist, and the client wants us to do some magic to it, which is pretty cool. R9 says, hey BC, have you ever worked on or done a 13-beat rotary? Um, I usually build cars based upon my relationship with the manufacturer. Um, being American Honda, Ford, uh, Hyundai, like we have back here, um, doing some really cool things with some dealerships with, America, with Porsche, um, NA. So I don't. I have a relationship with Mazda, but it's not one where we build cars for them yet, so not quite yet. On the tuning side, yes, we've tuned quite a few 13B rotaries. Um, a lot of them typically come here either on AEM, EMS, or on uh, Haltech. So yes, I've tuned those, but never built one in-house. I can tell you one thing, if we end up having a better working relationship with Mazda, and we have the opportunity where we actually build a vehicle for them. I tend to build new and old. I will, by all means, build something really cool. I will love to build something current, and then an old school, maybe like something as crazy as um, RX2 with a 13B in it, peripheral port. That'd be cool, right? Um, dealing with design. Can you explain what pre-ignition is, please? Sure. Just like the name implies, ignition happens prior to when you wanted to. Anyway, no, I'm being a little too simplistic. So, you guys have heard everything from um, you know, the auto cycle, where you have in- ingestion, then you have compression, then you have explosion, ignition, and then you have exhaust. So, the key to making power is, of course, getting as much air and fuel in the right relationship into the engine as possible. But, when the piston's on its way up, you know when that spark plug glows and creates that explosion that then pushes the piston down? You don't explode that right at top dead center, not right when the piston comes up. You want to explode that a few degrees before the piston goes to the top. So as the piston's on its way up to the top, you ignite it, and then the burn happens because it kind of forms a plume, and then pushes down to the piston, which then does work, and then that allows the crankshaft to turn, which in turn is going to your clutch, and do your transmission, anyway, great things happen. Something really interesting also happens if you do not ignite the right time, so if you retard it so much to whereby the ignition happens much earlier, you won't have an efficient burn. If you have it too soon, you can have too much a burn. If you advance the ignition so much, you can have opportunity where you can have like some very damaging effects. It's almost like igniting when the is on its way up, which is not very good. So pre-ignition happens in many ways. It can happen with too hot an intake air. Let's say you have an system that's not ideal or on a very hot day. If you have too much high static compression or your dynamic's extremely high because of your camshafts. Do you guys remember what we talked about last week where I said uh, talked about Charles Long physics where when you compress a gas, the temperature goes up? So imagine having a physical high compression dome and you're compressing the gas. You can get to a point where prior to igniting, the compression is so high that the air temperature in there gets so high that it can self-ignite the fuel in there, which is a problem. Pre-ignition can also happen when a spark plug electrode is too hot and can ignite it. It can also happen if you have sharp objects in your combustion chamber, like a protruding head gasket, um, sliver, or even a very sharp point in your piston dome design. You can also create pre It's pretty much where you're igniting it prior to when you want to, or in a time that is not ideal. And that's typically very damaging to a piston. I'll tell you how damaging it is. It's akin to you taking a piston and hitting a hammer on top of it because pre-ignition can cause detonation, and the detonation is very, very damaging to your engine. Now, engines can take some of it, but it cannot take it for long. You hear like little, Low, little, which is pretty bad. So that is um, a basic insight on pre-ignition, and hopefully i answered your, your, your question properly. Any interest in assisting with a 1969 Subaru Summer bus EV conversion? Sure, Crimple, I'd be more than happy to help. That's why we're here. Hello, Nima GHC, thank you so much. Um, you and Magnus both bought a Rolls. Yes, Garth, it's so weird. Um, and it wasn't planned at all. So Magnus and I talked quite a bit, but it was never planned. I had no idea. As a matter of fact, when I purchased this thing, it was, Mums was on it. it I, just, I did some videos driving around the back of the shop, and I just parked it. Because, you know, I typically build projects and just have it out there. And then maybe three weeks later, Magnus talks about the you know, Rolls, and I kind show the family. Hey, my wife, hey, what's going on? And then he buys it. And I write to him immediately, hey, you bought one, I, and similar, almost similar color. I just got one too. He's like, oh, right on, you know, rock on or something he said, which is pretty cool. But yeah, we both have it. Hello, Ben French LA, Benny Piquet, the gentleman who got me into the Porsche world. So for those of you who don't like the fact I'm working on Porsches, you can blame Benny. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Benny's great, he's a great friend, started off as, as a client um, who did very well in the dot-com boom, um, retired, and then now he can't stay idle so he has to still work. Great guy, he doesn't have to work, but he does. Has this great company. Um, and moved to Arizona, I believe, and he always drove these beautiful cars daily, but raised Honda Civics, which is great. So he really got me into, pushed me. He mentioned it even once. Hey, BC, you need to get into this Porsche world. It's a great thing to do. And he was right, and I did it, and the rest is history. So thank you so much, Benny, for being such a great advocate of my family and I. I appreciate you indeed. Hello, move a Brick, good seeing you. Thank you so much for the kind words. Um, thoughts on Rotary, says Reiner Gonzalez. I like them very much. I love the Wankel engines a lot. The simplicity, the lightweight, they sound pretty cool to me. I know that the noise and the heat generated is something that's not very attractive, and some of the emissions as well. is actually bringing back the Rotary um, as a range extender for the electric series of motors. Uh, am I supposed to talk about that? I think it's public knowledge now. So that being said, it's pretty good, you know? london car chase when you come to london as soon as this pandemic thing goes to comes to pass um i have not been to the uk in a couple of years and that's very bad i should go every year and my plans to go early this year but it didn't happen because of the pandemic as soon as things ease up i will be in the uk and i'll make it very commonplace and get to visit some of my dealers and on the same token um go see some guys from luna's design very good guys definitely want to go visit them it's pretty nice um do you think that internal combustion engine cars will still be able to legally drive after more strict emission regulators regulations? Um, yes, for a period of time. Believe it or not, EV setups, as much as we love to have an EV here and some of the conversions back there and all this great stuff, it still only makes about 2.2% of all cars sold. So even though it's becoming more and more popular and there's a lot of noise around that, it's still not a majority of vehicles sold today, globally. But the interesting thing is Manufacturers are putting a lot of resources and time into EV cars, so very soon it's going to happen and it's going to really be widespread in Europe Which is pretty interesting even right now in London there are congestion and also emission charges for those entering London proper and EVs are given a bit of a break and I see that becoming more and more Prominent for lack of a better word, so yes, I do see that happening um, things are gonna get pretty interesting very soon. So it's one of the reasons why I tried my best to embrace the EV world, even though I was a die-hard petrol head and didn't want anything to do with it, I noticed that this is where everything is going and if I want to remain, remain relevant and be able to do great things, I need to be able to pursue this. But I wasn't interested in the mobility aspect, I was more perform- more interested in the performance aspect of our performance EVs. So that's why we're doing that, you know? Oh, welcome back, Uiparse. good seeing you indeed, you know? God lovers, thank you so much. You got a speeding ticket on a ninety-one. Oh my God! Please take it easy out there. They're looking. You know, California is kind of um, hurting for resources. SOS Customs. Oh, you're ready? Okay, I'm gonna call you Saul right after this. We need to get you in, by all means, by all means. Can't wait to see what do the roles. I guarantee it's gonna be pretty interesting. <laughs> King is in the house, courtesy of guitar. Thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words. How do you say that? Guitari than tirin, Tirima, I believe. Good seeing you. What do you think about a 190 e- uh, e-build? I think that's cool. I have one over there, but I don't know if I'll ever get to it. I have a 190 Cosworth over there. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll just sell it. I, I don't think I'll be able to get to it. What do you think, Duran? Should I sell that 190 or, or work on it? Daron said work. On it. work. I'll, probably, I, I'll probably just sell it to Duran so he can work on it. How about that? <laughs> yo I have an 8th Civic I want you to have you want to give me an 8th gen Civic what a nice job, thank you young Rick bring it on down I'm sure Jerome would love that Another Civic. bring it on down, I'll take it by all means, I don't want to look like a gift horse in the mouth you know um, hello Ricky unfiltered good seeing you indeed I have your pin put aside for you sir at your leisure you can have it and mod it, I will do that I would totally mod the crap out of it you know is it possible to do nitrous on a hybrid? Absolutely, you No, know, the hybrid still has a petrol engine. So it's very possible to do, indeed. But guys, you know what time it is? It's 12.57. I'm gonna get kicked out of Instagram any second now. So thank you so much for joining me on this 147th episode of BC More Tech Tuesday. Once again, thank you, Moto for the cool shirt. Thank you, Acronym, for the amazing jacket and trousers. And look at these shoes. These are pretty, pretty cool kicks. Look at that, very nice. So thank you so much, and thank you for all of you for being great advocates of our program and for all the manufacturers for allowing me to live my dream through their amazing stuff. Envious Productions, shout out to you. Thank you so much. See you next week. Stay safe, everyone, and God bless. Take care now. Cheers. Bye-bye.